You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So we are in week five of the Upside Down Kingdom, and doesn't it right now feel like everything has been turned upside down? And that's the new normal. Yeah. This is the week, I think, for many of us um, that the COVID-19 pandemic, I know that's a scary word, but it's still the reality of what we're dealing with in some ways, but where it became much more real. We got into the habit of social distancing. It became more of a normal. I could tell by the one time that I went out to the grocery store and people were kind of settling into that. This is also the week it became more real for many of us because we started to know people who were infected with the virus. Some isolated at home and others who are hospitalized. Now last week when we talked about this upside down kingdom, we looked at the upside down nature of how one enters the kingdom. And Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you will never enter it. Two weeks ago, we looked at the upside-down nature of goodness, the fact that um, who, what is the good life, who leads the good life, and how God gives the good life to us through his son, Jesus Christ. It is a free gift of God. Um, Three weeks ago, we even looked at the upside-down nature of greatness, where the greatest are actually the least, and the first become the last in the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to look at, I think, the passage that, um, well, for me, was the inspiration for this entire series in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, starting at verse 32. And we're looking at the upside-down nature of power once again, but this time, It's positional power or authority and how one uses their position for the sake of the kingdom versus the way the world uses it. Now, before we get into this, though, I do want to reiterate some of the things Hunter so uh, eloquently said in our introduction, because I know some of you um, didn't get here quite at the beginning of this video and this live streaming. And so I just want and I want to reemphasize how important it is at a time like this when we have to stay socially apart, physically apart for the sake of our community and world, we still need to be close together and connected. And that's why Hunter and I have set up these different Zoom huddle calls and Zoom huddles for our congregation, not just for the family at Thrive, but for anyone you may know that wants to grow in community, who needs encouragement, support, um, growth, uh, connections. We'd love for you to join in with those. So we have them, and you can see them here on the screen, Mondays at 7, Tuesday at 1 p.m., Tuesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 7 p.m., and Saturday at 9 a.m. Now, if none of those times work, let us know. We'll try to set up one that works for you. But we also encourage this. You can set up a Zoom huddle yourself with friends, relatives, family members, whomever. Yesterday, I had the privilege of getting together with Um, I think over a dozen of my cousins on the Roth side of the family stretched from California through um, the Midwest to Florida. And it was just such a blessing to be able to hear an update from them and to pray 
with them. And some of them, I think, might be watching this morning right now here. And I appreciate that as well. So consider doing one of those as well. Now, also last week we started on Wednesday night another live streaming event, and this is as uh, Hunter and I discuss in more of a um, podcast format, would you say, Hunter? I know I'm, pardon? Conversational format. I'm looking over here at him. He's well away from me right now. Um, in a conversational format, um, the book of Philippians, and why? Because of all the New Testament books, this one was written by Paul when he was in confinement. He was socially isolated in some ways. He was still in prison, probably in Rome, and he wrote to his church that he loved so much in Philippi, in Greece, and shared joy and encouragement in the midst of struggles. And I think we all need that now. So tune into that on Wednesdays at 7. And then finally, this Monday, again, we're going to do a Thrive a Drive-By. Uh, pardon? A Thrive-By, where you stay in your car, you put food in the trunk of your car, um, non-perishable food items, and you come through. We have a little drive-in area next to our church here on Estero Parkway, and you can drop it off um, by just opening your trunk, We'll take it out and then roll down your window, stay in the car. We can have a little conversation and actually get to see each other more in person than online. And I think it's just been a great uh, thing that we've started to do. When I uh, dropped off the items from last week Tuesday at the Interfaith Food Bank here right in Estero Park, um, boy, I'll tell you, um, they were thrilled because the demand has gone up as the supplies have diminished. So you can make a difference by serving this community in that way. Now, um, we're going to get into our text, okay? And this is from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it was prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who consider rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Upside down kingdom. Man, that is what this text is all about. How Jesus changes the whole hierarchy of the way the world works because of his cross and because of who he is and because of what his kingdom is like. And so today, we're going to learn these two things, these two very, I think, important things from this text. We're going to look at, first of all, the power of the cross. And then secondly, how the cross changes power. How we now look at the use of power and how the world works uses power, and we look at it totally differently than the way the world does. But first, the power of the cross. Jesus says it plainly in this text, for even the Son of Man, that's him, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I realize um, the Greek behind this is not something you're going to figure out. And it's hard for me to even remember my Greek well from way back when I learned it in seminary and in college. But there are two very important words in that phrase that Jesus just said that I want to highlight here because we might just pass over them in the English and not think too much about them. The first is actually this word anti here in the text. That is the word for for, for many, for the many, that Jesus gives his life as a ransom for the many. But the word anti doesn't mean just for or to give something to, but it actually anti means in place of. So Jesus came, he is saying, to this world to give up his life as a substitution for our lives, as a complete substitution for who we are. And the second word is that word right before anti, it's lutron, which is unusual. It's not used often in the, in the Gospels. And it's the word for ransom. It is similar to the way that people might say, hey, somebody got kidnapped and we need to pay the ransom price. And Jesus is saying that he is going to use his life as the ransom price to free us from the bondage that we are in. Now, some people would just look at this and go like, really? Is this how God had to do it? I mean, that Jesus had to go over to a bloody death on the cross? Isn't that primitive? Isn't that kind of revolting? Why would God demand such a thing like a gruesome death to, quote, pay the price for our sin? Couldn't God just snap his fingers or send some type of a holy lightning bolt down on this world and rid this world of all of its evil and injustice? Couldn't he have a holy laser beam of some type and just kind of clean everything up? By the way, um, most modern sci-fi movies, which I would uh, say most science fiction and fantasy movies that we have today are our Greek mythology. That is, how we look at the world, how it's supposed to operate and all. And most of the movies have some evil force that has invaded the world in some form or way, whether it's Thanos or the Death Star. It comes from outside of the world order and the way the heroes come in is they use their cunning and their force and their willpower 
and they use the power and they overcome it by just doing more of the same that the others did. But the good guys win and the evil is destroyed and everything goes back to the way it always was and everything's good again. Or is it? It's not the way God works because he knows that doesn't solve anything. The cross, you see, is not simply some type of a balancing of some type of an equation, a cosmic equation of good and evil. Jesus doesn't take the, our place to satisfy some computer program of what justice is. The cross is really about changing life altogether and the entire direction of the world because where it's heading right now is not where God ever intended it. And I think part of the answer of why Jesus had to die, we all kind of know intuitively. You see, anything we know from our experience, anything that really brings about changes in people's lives, anything of substantial change is costly. Anyone who really loves someone else pays a price for that love. It may feel convenient at the beginning. It may be romantic love for a while in a marriage or when you have a child. It seems thrilling and easy, but at two in the morning at some point, someone is sick and the other person loses sleep to care for, to love, to clean up after the one who was sick. There's a price to pay. It might be as small as losing a couple hours of sleep or being in, quote, inconvenienced as to what I want versus what they want, but it might be the ultimate sacrifice to deal with an ultimate issue. And that's what Jesus says in his uh, words in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying, substitutionary sacrifice is all about my love for you. And it makes perfect sense that Jesus would pay the ultimate sacrifice of his very own life to deal with the ultimate cosmic problems this world has faced. But beyond that, just think about this. When someone does something wrong in your life, when someone harms you, you've got some choices you can make. You can just walk away from that relationship because they just trashed your reputation. They hurt you deeply. And you can say, I will have no more. You can cut them off. That's a price you're still paying. Or you can say, no, I've got to show them what they did wrong and I've got to prove it to them and I'm going to pay them back. And you're trying to get them to pay the price for what they did. Or you can forgive them. And if you choose to forgive them first and then seek maybe to justice later, to make a change in their life or a change in this relationship, it's going to cost you. Every time that you'd want to you know, bring up the past, every time that you want to shove it in their face, every time you want to make them pay that you choose not to, it costs you, it hurts a little, it's a sacrifice. But you do that to stop the cycle of retribution and to heal the relationship. You see, 
when God sent Jesus Christ to this world, he didn't want to just pay back the evil that was happening or take care of it or get rid of it. He wanted to bring reconciliation and an alienated relationship with his creation, especially with you and with me. And he wanted to stop the cycle, to stop the retribution, to stop this seeking of justice and payback. And in order to do that, he takes on the ultimate sacrifice. The power of the cross is the fact that God removes the evil of the world while saving the human race who has embraced that evil in this world, who has practiced that evil in this world. The cross is where you see that God is the one who loves his enemies. And I was one of his enemies. Now, you can ask Lisa, like I mentioned, going to movies and seeing sci-fi. She sometimes doesn't like going to the movies with me because I'm always analyzing them and looking at them through some theological lens, like I meant. And I'm a critic of their plot. And how, wait a minute, how did that happen? Why couldn't they have done this, you know? And um, what often happens, though, is what I see is the hero saves the day in the movie, like most of the time, from some outside force of evil. And the hero then basically overpowers and eliminates that evil person, that evil organization, that thing. And then we go back to the way it was. And everybody's happy. The plot feels resolved. And the big assumption is the way it was was good in the first place. But God does not do that. Because the hero in God's story, Jesus, does not save the day. He is destroyed on that day. He, defi he, he dies on that fateful day to save us not only from that day and from our past, but also from the future that we would have if things did go back to the way they were. This is the way Peter puts it in his um, in his book, 1 Peter chapter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish or spot. You know, I used to kind of believe that um, Jesus Christ saved us from our sins like you would go to a dry cleaner and get a spot out of your garment. You know, you got this little thing here. Oops, I spilled some coffee and now they clean it out and I'm back to normal. But Peter says normal was a feudal way of life that had been passed on for generations to generations. And Jesus Christ saves us from all of that. He doesn't just clean out a little spot of this thing or that thing. He puts the whole person to death on the cross. He dies on the cross and everything dies there. Everything comes to an end at the cross, including my way of using power, my way of doing things, my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions, everything. And then through his resurrection, we are raised up to a new life. This is why um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it simply, only the suffering God can help. 
I don't know if you realize this, but if you study world religions, like I uh, teach world religions at a university here, um, when you study world religions, only Christianity has a God who suffers in place of as a ransom for human beings. In every other world religion, the solution is that you have to pay the price. You have to solve the problem. You have to figure it out. You have to use your power, your wit. You have to at least come halfway. You have to do this. You have to do that. Here's the method. Here's the way. And Jesus th says, no, I'm going to be the ransom for you. Only the God who suffers can really help anyone. And that's the way God uses power. That is the power of the cross. That's how that power changes everything. And so now we go on to our second point, how the cross itself changes the way we understand power. The cross changes power. It changes our perception of what power actually can accomplish. We start to realize that power is not the solution, that just passing a bunch of laws and trying to force people to act a certain way doesn't actually solve anything because it doesn't change anybody's hearts. In fact, do you understand trying to use power in those ways is the problem? It's the problem. I, I love it how um, you've probably seen it on the internet as well and across uh, social media, how everybody seems to be now an expert at what we should be doing as a nation. You know, oh, you know, if we would have just started three weeks before, or if we would have done this, or we need to do this, or everybody is thinking, if I were in charge, I would force people to, and then everything would be solved. And we don't realize that's the problem in the first place. It's like having a million people who are all actors in a play, but every one of us thinks we're the director telling everybody else what to do. It doesn't work. It actually causes more problems. The use of power in our world and the way that we have used it and the way the church has even used it has been detrimental and actually causes problems in this world, doesn't solve them. You know, um, the disciples were thinking this way. And we can look at this text at the beginning where Jesus spells out plainly what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And then the whole disconnect, James and John come up to him as if he had not said anything about his sacrifice or his death or what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And they ask for positions of power. They want the authority. And we can look at them and go like, how stupid were they? Why couldn't they understand? But I don't think that's the point of the text. The point is more like, hmm, how am I just like these disciples? How am I just like them? And how do I understand power? What is it I'm not getting? You see, our first point is how the cross changes power, is the fact that it moves us from this arrogance of we know all the answers to solve all the problems to a humility of mind. I think Richard Hayes in his book, The Moral Vision of the New Testament said it well. 
He says, Mark's vision of the moral life is profoundly ironic because God's revelation is characterized by reversal and surprise. Those who follow Jesus find themselves repeatedly failing to understand the will of God. Thus, there can be no place for smugness or dogmatism. If our sensibilities are formed by this narrative, we will learn not to take ourselves too seriously, but we will be very self-critical and be receptive to unexpected manifestations of God's love and power. So no Christian should be walking around right now and go, I got it together. I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly what God is thinking at this moment in time. And every, just listen to me and everybody's going to be okay. I want you to be sure of God's grace in your life. I want you to know his promises, but I don't want you or myself to start saying, I can discern exactly what's going on in all situations and I know what you need and you need and you need and you need, and I'm going to tell you it. That's arrogance. Servants don't come into situations assuming they know exactly what should be done. Servants take direction. Servants ask questions. So during this COVID-19 situation, um, during one of our home huddles this week, we asked the question of how could we support medical workers right now who are overstressed and anxious and working overtime and don't have enough resources? How can we show them and encourage them and support them? And I think the best answer from the whole group was let's ask them. <laughs> you know, let's ask nurses, let's ask doctors, let's ask people in the hospital system right now, how can we serve you? How can we support you? What would be best for you right now? And we're starting to get some of those answers. But that's the attitude of a servant, that we don't assume we know what they need. We need to ask. So that's humility of mind rather than this arrogance that we so often see. And another way the cross is changing power is this. It moves us from demanding our rights to making a difference for eternity. Notice Jesus says, this is how, you know, the Gentiles work. The people who don't believe in God work this way. They lord it over each other. They push, they shove, they demand, they force. And you think that that works? He says, not so with you. And that's the way most people, even so many churches, so many Christians are trying to influence society right now by pushing and forcing and demanding. Control tactics don't work. They don't change people's hearts. They don't expand the kingdom. Jesus is not so with you. Jesus lays out true greatness in this passage, and he's saying in this passage, you want to be great, be like me, then I'm giving up my life as a ransom for many. You now follow, not to demand your rights, but to serve and to give, because that's the greatest in the kingdom. He says, I want you to so serve your communities, so bless your community, to sacrificially give of yourself in a variety of ways, so that the people around you who may not believe what you believe about me still cannot imagine you not being a part of their lives, you not being a part of their communities because you're benefiting their community so much by just how you serve and you give. And that way, you gain lasting influence that'll make a difference for eternity. You're gonna change hearts in your society rather than just changing and changing minds as a result, not just trying to force some change. You know, Jesus didn't take out his enemies. He didn't pulverize his enemies. 
He prayed for them and he gave up his life for his enemies. The cross is where we see God loves his enemies, where Jesus prayed for those who were killing him. Right now, there are some churches across America that have demanded their rights to still assemble together. And I think they're actually giving a bad name for Christianity altogether. Um, Because that's not the way of Jesus right now. We might need to give up our rights. We need to social distance. We need to do what we're doing here this morning and not be meeting together. And that is more in line with this text. And I believe then we will gain more influence in our society when we actually serve the needs of our society rather than demand our rights. You want to be great, Jesus says, then serve. You want to be first, then be last. You want to follow me, then you will give of yourself as I have given my life to you. Jesus' cross has changed everything. Everything. It has changed our perception of how power is used, how positions of authority are used. It's not used for myself to build myself up, but it's used for others to divest of myself for the sake of others and build them up. May that be the way that we handle this upside-down kingdom. At this point in time, we're going to begin our prayers. And um, during which, I'd also like you to consider how during this time as well, our ministry as well as all others, whether this is your family here at Thrive or not, Um, consider the ministry that you consider your home church right now, because during this time, just like every other organization, we all still need your financial support to know, to make a real difference in this community. So consider how you may give thanks to God, offer online rather than in person, um, your gifts, how God has blessed you. But let's now pray for these matters that are before us, okay? So, Lord God, we ask right now that you would be with us, that we would understand the upside-down nature of your kingdom, especially at a time where everything seems to be upside-down, that this would be a time as a result of the tumult in this world that more people would fall to their knees and receive you as their Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord, right now uh, for churches around this area, for Jim House um, and Sarah and Eric and their church up in Missouri right now, that you would bless them and keep them. We pray, Lord God, for Jim House and his health um, as he is awaiting a heart catheterization until there's a time and an opening in this time of COVID-19, Lord, that you'd protect him and keep him in your care. Lord God, we lift up to you Mike Grisky's nephew, Jeff, as he is awaiting a blood transfusion, as he is facing cancer, as he has had this for a while, that you would truly provide for him, Lord, during this time. Um, Lord God, um, Shirley Ku um, is grieving. Her fiance just died this Friday of COVID virus in Naples. And Lord God, we are amazed that uh, this situation is affecting people directly right now. And 
We just lift her up and pray for your presence, your peace over her and the loved ones of her fiance, her family. Lord, give us the hope of resurrection, the hope of everlasting life and the hope of your peace and presence. As Chris is recovering from her broken femur and the surgery for that, Lord, um, we pray as she is isolated now and Jamie and the family can only watch her through a window and talk to her over the phone. We pray for your healing upon her this day that you speed her recovery along. Lord, we pray uh, for all those who are working in our grocery stores, for David Hughes as he works at Publix, and for everyone else, Lord. They are such servants in serving the community right now with what we need. We pray that you keep them safe, but you also give David opportunities to truly serve you and to witness to your goodness and grace just with the way he interacts with people. Lord, for Christy and for all medical workers, Christy, um, works in, uh, is a cancer uh, nurse, and a Derrickson who works in the hospital as an orderly here at Thrive. For everyone, um, we just pray for your protection over them, that you would surround them with your holy angels, that, uh, that you work through right now the supply chain so that the PPE does get delivered to the hospitals at the right time, and that you would lift their spirits and that they would know the difference they are making in their situations. We pray for um, Allie's friend, Zoe Magnin. She's on life support up in New York City because of COVID-19. We ask, Lord, that um, you work right there in the ICU that she is in. If it is your will, Lord, heal her of this sickness. Raise her up as an example of what you can do. We pray that you draw close to her, that you bring your gospel word to her right now, that you would comfort her. And Lord, if, if she lives through this, Lord God, that she would just give you all the glory. And Lord, there are people that you are bringing into your arms right now through this, and it grieves us if that happens, Lord God. But um, we commend her into your care. We ask for your will to be done there in this situation. Um, for those who are pregnant right now um, and those who are facing this during pregnancy, for instance, uh, Marsha Meekham's niece admitted to the hospital and they're inducing for labor for, um, for Zoe Husney right now and her last um, weeks of her pregnancy we pray for mother and child that you protect and keep them safe. Uh, Mike Simandi, Lord, um, Leah Campbell's friend, is critical but stable on a ventilator with COVID-19. He too we lift to you and ask for your miracle in his life. And for Julian Anna Kessler, um, whose friend's husband is battling cancer, Lord, he needs couple more treatments and they're being uh, delayed right now and we just pray Lord God that you would um, intervene um, in whatever way possible that these treatments be done that he is healed that he is brought Lord closer to you through this and Lord we know people now who are starting to be laid off because of this situation who are now facing uncertainty over finances 
And we just um, ask that you would grant them your peace, that you would help us here at Thrive to share the burdens with them, to share and give uh, sacrificially for their sake as well, that you would make us a family during this time that cares for one another in whatever way, that you provide for them, Lord, and that they would see your hand in all of these things. We do pray, too, that there would be a lot more mercy and compassion in our country right now as a result of this, that we would see each others through the eyes that you have toward us, Jesus, that we would see others with mercy and compassion and grace, and we would respond to those uh, needs people have with that kind of grace for employers to understand, for employees to understand, for those who hold, uh, you know, corporations and organizations to understand this time and uh, show mercy and compassion and understanding of delaying payments at a time when it's just difficult, Lord. We pray for your will to be done, that there would be, in that sense, what you had talked about in uh, with the people of God in the Old Testament, a year of jubilee, a time of celebration, of wholeness. And uh, we lift that to you as well. Lord God, all of these specific needs we lift to you as well as our lives. We commend ourselves to you today. Ask that you give us your peace, your joy, your courage, a strong faith in your promises. And finally, Lord God, that you would unite us and grow us stronger through this time, that we come out of this refined and renewed to be your people in this world. So in that light, Lord, we pray now across um, the distances that we may be as one family, the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for this time at Thrive that you've been with us today. Again, we'd love to see you on Wednesday. We'd love to have huddled together in the Zoom huddles. Um, if there's any way we can serve you, um, let us know your needs. We want to be a giving and receiving family here at Thrive. And I don't care if you haven't been able to worship with us once, we can still be the family of God together, and you do belong here. And so now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord.